The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. was unavailable to preach, the elders got together and said, we need to bring in someone special. We need someone with experience, someone who will do this day justice. Now, unfortunately, no one was matching that criteria uh, on such short notice, so they asked if I could fill in. Uh, but in all seriousness, it is a privilege to be up here today to preach to you and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, knowing fully well that it is God and His Word that speaks for Him. So I ask that you will join with me today in reading the passage of Scripture from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, as she wept, uh, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, 
sitting where the body of Jesus had died. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have left him. Having said this, he turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, as I read through this passage, my mind is instantly flooded with flashbacks to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And more specifically, the fall of humanity and our expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The parallels in this section to the fall of humanity are numerous and thick. In fact, many commentators see the entire Gospel of John to be soaked in and based around the creation narrative in the early chapters of Genesis. Because of this, John writes his gospel very differently to the other three gospels. John also writes the resurrection narrative very differently. This is so that John can continue things that he has spent the last 19 chapters developing. One example of this is how both passages are set in a garden. Genesis 3 is in the Garden of Eden, while, Genesis, uh, while John chapter 20 is in a garden where Jesus' tomb is located. There is no other description of the location of the tomb, just that it is in a garden. This holds significant importance as the passage progresses, and I'll expand on these as we go. So the, big, the chapter begins when Mary first sees the tomb is open and that the stone has been moved away. Her initial thought is that someone has taken Jesus' body. Mary, however, does not go in and look inside. She sees that it is empty and runs straight to Peter and John. She runs to tell the apostles that the stone has been moved away and that someone might have stolen Jesus' body. On hearing this, John and Peter ran to the tomb. Both inspect the tomb, both go in, and then both leave. 
Now, John does record that at this point, he started to believe. But this was not a full, complete belief. But it seems like this is when he first started to put together what he sees now and what Jesus said during his ministry. Jesus told them that he would die and then be raised to life. Here, John is starting to think the unthinkable. It takes a while, but this is when he first entertains the thought that Jesus might be alive. But John is still left with significant doubt. The story is not yet complete, and he is still left without a risen Jesus. Up till now, this is the only evidence they have that Jesus might actually have been raised from the dead. They still probably haven't ruled out the idea that his body was taken, but they are starting to think that maybe, just maybe, he did come back to life. As I said, Jesus told them numerous times that he would. But even so, this would be very difficult to believe without Jesus standing before them in person. Now the tomb, just like the cross, is meant to be a symbol of death. But what happens next turns these symbols on their head and presents them as signs of life. Mary, after telling Peter and John about the empty tomb, also returns, presumably to see if they were able to figure out what had happened and where Jesus might be. But Peter and John have left, and Mary has stuck around just a little longer. This time, John records that Mary speaks with two angels. She does not act in the same way that everyone else does when they see angels. She is not afraid. She doesn't even seem to recognize the uniqueness of there being angels there. They ask her why she's upset. And she says because they have taken away her Lord and did not know where he was. Now, I wonder if the angels asked Mary this because they knew that Jesus was standing right behind her. And this is where Mary turns to whom she assumes is a gardener and asks where he put Jesus' body. No other gospel records this little bit of information. And this is again where John links this event the events in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, particularly chapter 3. You see, gardening was Adam and Eve's job. They were commanded to rule and subdue the earth. Jesus is often described as a new Adam, or the second Adam. Eve 
John is making a direct link to the creation narrative and the beginning of human time. The first Adam brought sin and death into the world. The new Adam, however, brings everlasting life. This is because Jesus does what Adam did not do. Adam stood by and let the serpent into the garden. Then the snake spoke to Eve, who stood behind beside her silence. Eve ate the fruit and gave it to Adam, bringing sin and death into the world and forever separating humanity from God. From what we know now, Jesus has done for his death and resurrection. We know that Jesus has defeated Satan. He has defeated death. Jesus does what Adam should have done. By dying and coming back to life, Jesus removed the serpent and banished him from his garden. By doing this, Jesus removes the power of death and sin and casts it out into his garden. John records this in another book. In Revelation chapters 1, verses 17 and 18, it says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I die, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hell. Now this is important because keys are a symbol of authority. They symbolize how Jesus is sovereign over death and that his victory is permanent and eternal. John also tells us how Jesus removed Satan from the garden in Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 to 3. Where it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years. What Jesus has done is provide life to those who seek him. Death could not hold Jesus back, and it can no longer separate us from God. Jesus has defeated Satan and locked him in a bottomless pit. But at this point in John's retelling of the events in the garden outside of Jesus' tomb, the risen Jesus has not yet been seen. The risen Jesus is not yet proclaimed. It is still a story with no good news. However, in John 2016, we see the beginning of the reversal of this tragic story. After Mary speaks to the angels, she turns and speaks to Jesus, thinking he is the gardener. Jesus replies by simply saying her name. 
Jesus does this. Mary, who finally sees who she is speaking to, cries out, Rabbanon. She clings to Jesus. In this simple yet profound moment, we see the reversal of the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden and away from the presence of God. But Mary, who represents all of humanity, is brought back into the presence of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This passage centers around Mary and how she responds to God's word and presence in this garden. Just like Genesis 3 centers around Eve and her response to the serpent's words, in the garden of Eden. In Eden, the serpent promises Eve that she would be like God. Jesus, on the other hand, announces that Mary would be with God. The difference is crucial. While the actions in the first garden bring sin, death, and separation from God into the world, the actions in this second garden return creation to its intended state as the first garden. Full access in relationship with God. Jesus even says to Mary, Go tell my brothers that I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. With Jesus using this language, he shows the unity we have with him and also with God, our Father. Whatever security and closeness that Jesus has with God, we now share that security and closeness because of Jesus. But here is where the story gets even better. This restoration is not merely a return to the way things were before the fall. It is a new creation, a new beginning, a new way of life. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold. In John chapter 20, we see this new creation unfold before us. Mary is the first witness to the resurrection. And Jesus commissions her to go and tell the disciples that he is alive. This is the beginning of a new community. A new people of God who will bear witness to the resurrection and continue the mission that Jesus While Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, Jesus now extends the invitation to all of humanity to come back to him and have full access to the presence of God in their lives. Not only that, but he asks Mary to be the first to send out this invitation. In Eden, God tells Eve that she will no longer be with God 
In this garden, Jesus tells Mary to invite everyone into the garden, to invite everyone back into the presence of God. But this new community is not just a restoration of the old. It is a community that is founded on the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The cross is the center of our faith, the place where Jesus defeated sin and death and opened the way for us to be reconciled to God. But what does this mean for us today? Well, it means we are called to be a people who live in the power of the resurrection. We bear witness to the new creation that God is bringing about for us. It means that we are called to be a people who live by faith. Trusting in the promises of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. It also means that we are called to be a people who live in the reality of the cross. We are willing to take up our own crosses and follow Jesus. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross is a symbol of pain, suffering, and shame. Jesus calls us to pick up these things and follow him. In order to do this, we must deny ourselves. This is not an easy path, but it is a path of discipleship, a path of following Jesus wherever he leads us. This demands us to let go of our own ambitions and desires and instead follow Jesus through all types of pain and suffering. It's about denying what we want and seeking first the kingdom of God above all else. We do this so that when God says, who will go and tell people that Christ is risen? We can all cry. Here I am, Lord, send me. So as we celebrate the resurrection this year, let us remember the profound truth of this passage. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled with God and restored to the life for which we were created. Let us also remember the link with Genesis 3 and how the resurrection of Jesus represents the beginning of a new creation, a new way of life, and a new community founded on the cross and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So I hope as we leave here today, we can be a people who live in the power of the resurrection. People who can bear witness to the new creation that God is bringing about in Christ. To be a people who are willing to take up our own crosses and follow Him wherever He leads us. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your soul. May we boldly and confidently proclaim to all who he is, he is risen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.